Hello everyone and welcome to the Winging It F1 podcast between the Turkish Grand Prix and the Bahrain Grand Prix. This episode I'm here with Freddie Coates, the very well-rested, well-slept Nigel Chu. Freddie, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm not well-rested at all though. I had to get up to record this podcast a couple of hours ago. <laughs> yeah, and Nigel, you're very looking very au natural and fresh this fine morning, soon to really afternoon. Not. How are you? <laughs> I'm really not fresh at all. I feel absolutely horrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we'll dive straight into it, the third question. Um, yeah, we're looking at news that's come out over F1 over the past week. A bit of a look back at the Turkish Grand Prix as well and a bit ahead to Bahrain. First thing is, how comfy is Nigel's bed? And <laughs> <laughs> he was asleep for a long time, Adam. I think it's mm. going to be one of those you don't know. You don't know when I went to sleep, though. Yeah, but we we were waiting for you for a long time. We were checking on Facebook when you were last active. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll move actually into the F one, and we're going to start back at Turkey, um, and just kind of a, the thing that I guess a lot of fans noticed, and especially if it hadn't been such a spectacular race, I think probably would have had even more coverage was in qualifying they sent the cars out at the start of Q2 I believe um, while a tractor truck was still on track for clearing away the wreckage of Nicholas Latifi's crash on a slippery wet circuit on um, you know a term where it's quite easy to spin off yeah kind of what what did you guys both think kind of when, when you first saw it, first of all? Let's put a stain on what has been a brilliant race weekend, unfortunately. Um, it was a horrific decision to start Q2, um, <coughs> start Q2 with the knowledge that there was a crane on track recovering a car that had spun out um, on the, in, at the end of Q1. So they had the five-minute lull in between the sessions. And they just chose to start it with the knowledge that it would have been a minute at most, 40 seconds was the, was the figure given for um, the car to be cleared. So rather than waiting a minute to start Q2, they just sent the cars out with a crane on track, not VSC conditions or anything, just double wave yellows around turn eight. Turn eight as well, the infamous turn eight, as we called it for the majority of the season when we've been talking about Turkey, the corner that has put fear into drivers for years on this um, new tarmac layout, new asphalt layout, which is going to, which was spinning cars off all weekend. Latifi improved in Q1. You can spin there and crash. And yeah, it was, it was the complete ign ignorance of the um, race direction. to just forget about Jules Bianchi in 2014. Forget that if there's a crane on track, the car can spin off and hit it even if it's safety car conditions, which is what happened to Jules. So it is a horrible thing to have happened, I think. It's just ig ignorance from Michael Mazzi and the director. He was informed by the clerk of the course that the crane would be gone by the time the cars got round there, about 40 seconds or so. It wasn't. And there was a green flag immediately after saying, go hammer and tongs, why not? So it's, it's just wrong, isn't it? Mm. It makes it even worse that it was it is raining as well. Cars can go for any moment. The track was 
incredibly low grip. It was like an ice ring all the way around. Uh, so yeah, it's a pretty poor error. It's not the first time. Uh, it's not the first big mistake we've seen. Obviously, we saw Stroll at Imola four ages ago. There's yeah, Michael Massey's just got to be careful because ultimately he is the one making the decisions because he is the race director. Now, I do think in general he's done a good job, but I think I think there's been quite a few unnecessary mistakes this year and mm. he's just got to be a little bit careful with that, I think. There's been a lot of um, a lot of situations that are developed which are just are so strange. For instance, like Leclerc in Barcelona driving mm. for lap two laps without seatbelts, no investigation, not even from. I mean, that's an FIA thing, but it's also a Mazzy thing. That's his job to refer that to the stewards. Um, then you've got the same with um, Kvyat at Turkey had loose seatbelts. Um, I don't know when. I haven't looked into the details of that. I've just seen the broad story. And I think that's for the race, he had loose seatbelts. That wasn't investigated at all because nothing's happened. Um, and there's, there's more. The safety car lights in Mugello went out before just on the final corner to inform the drivers that the safety car was coming in. When We knew halfway around the lap from the graphics it was coming in, but the drivers, they're going to be focusing on the safety car lights. That's last port of call, particularly for Bottas at that point. So, and that caused a massive pileup because the cars were in weird positions for a safety car, more weird for a safety car restart than usual. So there's just a few lapses which haven't, just as, as they're building up, haven't sat right with me. He did do a good job coming in in 2019, particularly after the really unfortunate passing and shock death of Charlie Whiting at Australia um, in 2019. Michael Mazzi stepped up. Um, because he was there and now has done a really good job and in some situations has definitely made the right call, I'd say. Um, there's been a few situations where um, uh, it's been touch and go and I'd say, yeah, fair enough. You've done a decent job there. I think there's a few sessions where um, some people would probably have not stopped it where it's been fine, actually, I think. Um, but some people would have stopped it where I think it's been fine. I think Mazzy's been okay with with doing that, with trusting the skill of the drivers, but there's trusting the skill of drivers, and then there's just putting them in harm's way. And what this this episode makes me think is, was the track safe for them to drive on in Q1? Did they start Q1 too early? If they were that pressed for time for the light, for instance, um, on, on Saturday, were they that um, pressed for time to just start Q1 then they run out of all the delay time with the red flags because of the wet conditions they just started because they felt they had to and that that's what worries me is that every call now is going to be questioned because of all of these situations piling up what worries me is that there's been a lot of these incidents I mean Michael Massey always talks about you know we'll learn from this and stuff but eventually you you either learn it and you and you, you know, iron out all the mistakes, or you don't. And for me, <clears throat> I don't. There's too many now. I think he's not. He's not got on top of it. I don't think. Um, that's the problem. You're either good at the job, or you're not quite good enough. And he's going. To, he's just going to be a little bit careful with that. I think because we keep seeing these mistakes. How 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 far are we, how far is he going to be allowed to go? Because one day the will something that goes really wrong yeah I think 
when they kind of said afterwards, oh, with the benefit of hindsight, we, we shouldn't have done it. And it just felt like, why do you need the benefit of hindsight to know that, you know, you had the benefit of hindsight in 2014 in Suzuka. You don't mm. kind of need, you don't need kind of <laughs> them, the cars to be literally going past the crane and everyone on TV seeing that and erupting about it to see, to know that it's a bad call. And uh, it, it's, you know, it, it's kind of, it's making too many assumptions with driver safety it's assuming that the crane will be off it's assuming that the drivers won't get round there when it's still on it's assuming that nothing will go wrong either with the drivers or the crane or the marshals or the cars or whatever and they just shouldn't be making these assumptions and genuinely putting drivers lives at risk because it's not too extreme or too hyperbolic to say that you know it's yeah it's the worst thing that can happen in F1 at all. And, you know, a lot of accidents that happen, you know, Hubert, they kind of looked at it and, you know, I know they've changed a bit around Eau Rouge, but they've not really kind of had a wider um, change within the sport because it was a free accident. It's the same with, well, Gilles Bianchi, they did change things, but, you know, there wasn't kind of too much blame apportioned to the FIA. And then they learned from it and they changed it and F1 is now safer as a result. And now they're just regressing. And, you know, if, if the worst has happened, then, you know, he would have been under absolutely huge pressure because yeah. it wouldn't have been a freak accident. It would have been a completely avoidable accident. Uh, it, yeah, it's, belief, it's just it? mind-blowing to me that they did it and, you know, for to gain, what, a minute? A minute from, a minute from whatever. Yeah. I mean, the conditions were changing all the time, but it wouldn't really make much difference to um, anything if if you started a minute later. Um, yeah. Everything on a racetrack is designed at full speed, is designed to be there. The, the tech pro barriers, yeah. the cars are designed to hit the tech pro barriers at speed. The gravel is there for a reason. The tarmac runoff is there for a reason. What is what isn't there for a reason is a monstrous crane picking up a car. They're not yeah. designed to crash into a a, a a JCB that's there to clear a bloody crashed yeah. car from the previous session. The pr- crashed car from the previous session proves cars can crash. Even if, it, even if you're the thickest person in the world, it proves that cars can go off at that corner. And a crane proves it difficult to sort out as well. The crane is proving it's difficult to sort out. So, oh my goodness me. It, they're playing God. And it's stupid. Yeah, I think. It's, it's just, and we'll come on to another incident that Freddie um, mentioned before, but yeah, I just, I've not really got anything much more to add. Just how... Oh, it's just infuriating and, and almost as infuriating as the FIA's response of, well, you know, we messed up there, but we'll know next time. And they shouldn't need to know next time. They should have known this time. Um, but yeah, it's, as Freddie said, Daniel Kvyat at Portimao for the Portuguese Grand Prix last month. Um, it was found that he had loose seatbelts afterwards and the FIA have come out and kind of said, mm, we're fine. 
don't need to investigate that. And this is after they didn't investigate Leclerc for driving two laps without a seatbelt done up as, um, as Freddie also alluded to earlier. And it's kind of, I think it's being swept under the carpet a bit by kind of everything else that's happened this week. And, you know, they still fall out from Hamilton's win and all of that. Um, but yeah, kind of to me anyway, even, even if they didn't think they needed an investigation, just in terms of the public image of the sport to the drivers and sponsors and fans and teams, you know, having an investigation would have, you know, helped rebuild that. I think. And there'll be internal discussions. Definitely. There'll be internal queries about people's jobs. Cause there should be, I think from these episodes, um, the caveat scenario was um, that he said, I think my belts are undone and the team told him to stay out with 10 laps to go in mm. the race. Um, and the key word he said there was again. Um, <laughs> so it's an issue. Not that, reviewed. And they had a, they had an they had a, an investigation with Kvyat stuff. They said it wasn't unsafe, and they said because it was his belts are slightly loose, not undone. So actually, Kvyat had said undone, which is the wrong terminology. Um, but they had an investigation, and they concluded the team changed the way they acted accordingly for the final few laps of the race. But the way they acted wasn't to bring... I think it might have been to bring Kvyat in. Because if I remember rightly, Kvyat was on the back. Because we criticised Kvyat for not finishing in a way that Gasly did. Gasly, what, finished fifth in Portimao? Yeah. We criticised Kvyat for finishing dead last of the runners. Um, but if he, presumably he would have had to have pitted. To be fair to Alpha Tauri, they might have brought him in and sorted his belts out. Um, that's my assumption from that. Um, from my memory, but I think it still seems something that should be really, really hammered in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because you should be making you should be making examples of teams whose seatbelts aren't mm. working. And yeah. I don't think it's a bad thing to for the FIA to come out and criticise people for being putting people in an unsafe position. That's the FIA's role. That's the FIA action for road safety. Yeah. So, Michael Schumacher, when he, you know, turned in on Jacques Villeneuve, was disqualified from the year. And that's the harshest punishment we've ever seen for that kind of thing. Every, people have done that kind of stuff and nothing happened to them. So, it feels like they should be going, I think, to... The, the bit, well, yeah, I think they should be being a bit harsher with these kind of things. Mm. I think they probably... Probably like Roman Grosjean was black, well, not black flag, was banned for a race in 2012 from his spa, college, spa shunt that was deemed to be his fault. And I think maybe there should be the threat of that brought back. Yeah, I think this all stems from when they started having those five second time penalties. So we just see five second time penalties for everything now. When in the past you always got a drive through or even a stop and go. But you know, not think if they go to drive throughs and stop and goes purely. Do you think that would then just lead to um, to the to um, drivers getting away with more rather than? I don't know. I, I, mm, I don't know five seconds. Series, other series, other series don't have a five and ten second. It's only F one which has these five and ten. Seconds. Other series are really? super harsh. If you uh, make contact with someone, it's your fault. Get a drive through, no matter how much of a big mistake or small mistake it is. And personally, I think it should be that way. I I would agree with Freddie actually. I think it would lead to more 
more things going unpunished or you know kind of an incident like in Canada last year you know if Vettel gets a drive-through for that then the FAA are getting stoned I think um after they got stoned for a five second yeah so you know they're, they're kind of going to be in a position Probably where stoned. yeah the I think the YouTube video for that has more dislikes by about 10,000 than it dislikes for the highlights of that race Not um so yeah, I think, you know, they're going to be in a position where they're either going to have to cut on-track action or let people get away with things. I think the five-second penalties do do a good job. But, you know, I think in this situation where it, you know, kind of, it's entirely internal within the team, it's that, you know, whoever's responsible for making sure the seatbelts are okay hasn't, you know, done their job properly or they've come loose in the race and Alfred Dari have gone, yeah, it's all right. Um, yeah. So, you know, I just don't, I don't think there should be that decision available to make. And, you know, if teams, there needs to be a, it needs to be so it's not worth it for teams to keep their driver out if it's in a potentially unsafe position. Because at the moment, that's what it is. And we said the same with, with COVID as well, that it's kind of, you know, not worth teams because of the, because the punishments are quite lax over COVID breaches of regulation, you know, it is worth it for teams to kind of risk it and bring their drivers to to events if they're in a um potentially dangerous position and it's the same with this that you know if you're if you know that the FIA aren't really going to punish you for it then you know you're fine if you knew that you'd miss 10 ra- uh, sorry miss the next race if your driver you know doesn't come in and get his seatbelt sorted out that's gonna you know force the team's hands and in Azerbaijan 2018 or 2017 there was when Lewis's kind of headrest um 17 yeah was was loose forced to come in yeah he was forced to come in and he ended up I think losing the race kind of based off the time he lost from there but you know it didn't matter because you know nothing worse happens and I think I think teams have to have that approach and the FIA and F1 need to have that approach yeah I think I think you're very right with that Adam that there should be more um, balls from the FIA to <clears throat> instigate safety. And I think, going back to what Nigel said about harsher penalties, there should be also more balls to instigate harsher penalties. Because, mm. yeah, it is a mess how many five seconds there are. I think a five-second penalty is a good idea. But I think they shouldn't be scared... Of, they shouldn't be scared of a 10-second penalty. They shouldn't be scared of a, a drive-through penalty or a stop-go penalty. These are now reserved for the harshest of misdemeanor yeah. crimes. Um, the last time I remember there being a, I want to say, 10 second, 15 second stop go is the worst they can do, 20 second stop go maybe, um, was when Vettel bashed into Hamilton at the. At yeah, the um, 10 second stop. 10 second stop go, all right, at, at Baku in 2017. And yeah, I think they should probably, probably be a bit more inclined to issue those kind of penalties. Um, they're just a bit, a really massively in, inconsistent in penalties. And we say this probably every other podcast, that the stewards just are, are so strange with their decision-making. And they're voluntary stewards. It's not a set of stewards who go around to every race. It, mm. We have that question raised a lot. And I don't know what's the best situation. 
really. It's really difficult. And you can't look at really other series because they have issues as well. Formula E has issues with the stewarding. Um, there was a, the race, the Saudi Arabia race, first Saudi Arabia race of season six. They released the safety car and there was just this crane with a car in the middle of the track. And it's, it, it's even plainer to see in Formula E because the, the street circuits are narrow as hell. So that at least in Turkey, you had the track and then the crane was off the track. This crane was on the track with cars going at full speed. It was unbelievable. And so it's, it seems like an FIA-wide problem, not just a Formula One stewarding problem. And I don't know whether there's just needs to be a lot more done in their stewarding training process. And if Scott Elkin is Michael Mazzi, Scott Elkin being the, um, F, the race director, Michael Mazzi's position for Formula E, both were... Um, protégés of Charlie Whiting and both both were 10 races with him as deputy race directors and that's why they're in these positions now as um, Mazzi with Formula 1, Elkin with Formula E respectively for both of them and they've they've handed the train the protégé training with Charlie Whiting they just need to um, get um, I don't know just get better at it <laughs> yeah I think it's obviously you know it's difficult within the heat of the moment and we're not saying it isn't you know is an incredibly demanding job but you know it's they're in that position because it is such an important job and yeah I, I just think I think there needs to be more thought about the actual um, you know if the worst happens what that would mean when they're making decisions because I just don't think there really is I think they're oh this might happen you know someone might spin off and hit it it's not kind of, there doesn't seem to be enough weight put on the fact that, you know, this could be a fatal incident or, you know, this could completely change someone's life for the worst. Um, right, the government, isn't it? You know, we all get it's a tough job. It's really difficult. Ultimately. You're doing the job. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can do badly at tough jobs. You know, it's not, it's not a get out of jail free cut. Um, sticking with Turkey, the, one of the best features of the weekend, as it turned out, was the low gripness of it. And I don't know, I think on Friday, I was kind of worried it might turn into a bit of a farce, but actually it didn't. It turned out into a brilliant race. So the question for both of you is, should we have more low grip tracks, surfaces in F1? Would it improve it? Or do you think, you know, it's a nice thing to have a one-off of, but if it's kind of, you know, if people know it's coming down the track, would it have the same effect? Uh, I think it's good as a one-off. Um, the whole concept. I mean, it was it was cool because it was weird and different. Yeah, we like unpredictability in in as a fan of Formula One, but I think if you know if it just becomes the norm, then it will just be normal, and it, yeah. that mm. means it's not fun. Then you've got you're watching a practice session. It's like, oh look, a car spun. Oh well watching the race and it's just like well we'll expect this result because it's different and it's weird and then you get it and it defeats the point it's like when um a couple of times you go to singapore and you expect mercedes to do badly and they would because it was singapore do not as well and it's just like okay cool well we expected that now and it ruins the fun so the unpredictability is good the the um the difficulty is good we like that but it can come in different ways um, the unpredictability can come from um, lots of cars being able to fight for a win. 
and the difficulty can come from never being allowed to make a mistake because you're always going to have cars around you, which is why the midfield is cool. Because like you can't make a mistake because if you're Perez and you get pitted, then you go from third to sixth or seventh in Imola. Whereas if you're Hamilton and you do it, you're fine. You win the race. So the I think yeah, it stems to me the issues of of one being not that um, tracks are slippy sometimes because you're going to get a slippy track every now and again, and it's fun when it's a complete shock when you expect it to be um, such a you know, a really, you know, polished track that the cars are going to be going as fast as they've ever been around Turkey, which is what we were thinking, what everyone was thinking. And then it comes, it's completely different. That's cool. That's interesting. It's a curveball. Um, but any other time, I think, yeah, probably wouldn't be as interesting. It was exactly like the Canadian Grand Prix 2010 when the tyres, the Bridgestone tyres went off. And then next year, Pirelli coming to sport and decide, oh, every race should be like Canada 2010. And then, but to be fair, 2011 is one of my favourite seasons. Yes, the championship was over very early. But Good season. Races, you know, there was a run of races, six, seven races in a row. It was just absolute classic. Uh, we had that so in 2019 as well. In 2019. Yeah, 2019. Yeah, last year. Championship was decided by race four. But from like Austria up Austria. until um, Monza. Monza, yeah. They were really good races. Yeah, I, Singapore yeah, as well. 20, yeah, 2011 2019 parallels for me. Uh, but yeah, so if, you, if you're looking at that, I wouldn't mind seeing more low-grip races. Uh, not every race, you know, but just see, I just love seeing the drivers having to work at the wheel, mm-hmm. you know, or seeing them make all the inputs and stuff, like a rally car. It's just, it's something I've really, I really missed from F1. Well, that said... Even in those conditions, it was very difficult to follow, you know, and, and yeah. that says a lot because it's a big old wide track, there's straights, there's slippery conditions, cars at different speeds, yet there's still a difficulty following and overtaking, especially for the first half of the race when there's no DRS. Uh, so essentially, F1 just has to make the front and rear wings a bit smaller, and then you'll get that every race. and You won't have to do, uh, put a new bit of tarmac down around every single circuit. So yeah, make, make the wings smaller if you want to see the drivers uh, working harder at the wheel, is my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I'd agree that, you know, because it was so good because it was kind of unexpected. Whereas if kind of that's not the case, you know, teams will find a way to adapt it. Every F one team is extremely well good at adapting. But at the flip side, you know, maybe just keep it a secret. Maybe just like, you know, tarmac a few corners, re-tarmac a few corners like two weeks before, don't tell anyone. And then the teams turn <laughs> up and they're like, oh, wow, what a surprise. Well, um, this comes back to what Nigel says every week, which I'm entirely on board with, which is doing completely different formats. So maybe you can just say, okay, we're going to do this qualifying format today. Bam, do it. You've got to do a race or you've got to do a, You've got to do Q1, 2, 3, as usual. That kind of thing. You can mix it up and make it more lucky dip. And yeah, lucky dip sounds crap. But if you, um, if you make it entirely different and make it that, you know, you could be getting an entirely different show um, by making it a different show, because that's what Formula 1 needs to do, is that you can't just rely 
we're getting to a point now where you can't rely on it to make the show happen itself. Yeah, we had yeah. brilliantly, and that was complete chance that that happened. But a little bit of you know a prod in the right direction. Well, Especially if we're going to have 24, 25 races as well. You know? Yeah. To make, each, to make each event different. You've got to have little tweaks on a, you know, compulsory two pit stops at Monaco. Or, You've got to use all uh, three tyre compounds. One, kind of thing. You know, one, one lap shootout at Silverstone. You know, little things like that. Mm. Mm. I mean, I, I drive backwards like at Monza. <laughs> I still quite like the idea of just having mystery races. So, like, all the paddocks just like after one race, especially if it's a double header, and then they all just have to like, I don't know, just like get blindfolded, get blindfolded, like put on a plane, and then they just land and they don't know where they are, and then like they take the hoods off and it's like, oh, we're at Bahrain, and then oh, whoa. and then they've just got to like go racing, or or even you know, like, <laughs> they land at the an airport, they get given a map, and it's like X marks the spot, and they've got to do like fine riddles and stuff to get to the race. <laughs> And it's like some kind of um, crystal maze kind of meets um, <laughs> meets hunted or something, and whoever gets there first qualifies first, and that kind of <laughs> yeah. And it's like, like you get like racing that. point, get there like last, and start at the back. And Alpha Tower, you get there first because they're the best at riddles for some reason. And you're yeah. yeah. starting on the front row at the Mongolian Grand Prix. Yeah, like you know, or not, yeah, like Barrow's probably a bad example. There's like this this track in Argentina that's like round a lake, and it's the most beautiful track I've ever seen. Um, street track, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Or like road, road. It's beautiful. I can't track. remember what it's called. Yeah, but you know, or they just turn up some like random track that no one even knows exists, and then they're like, right, Friday, go, and they've all just like got, got to go out and learn it. Put but, them in the outback and send them to Bathurst. Oh. Don't, don't even talk about Bathurst, it will get me. No. <laughs> It'd be like in um, Gallipoli, when they just like <laughs> walk, walk through the desert for like three days, <laughs> which is like they're shut over their head, like, yes. Let's um, make every F1 race the Paris Dakar rally. On yeah, the way. Would, would have a slight advantage. Mm. Yeah, now it true. doesn't go. To Dakar or Paris, I believe. In Saudi Just, Arabia, this one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and one more thing in our extended Turkish Grand Prix review, mid race, whatever we want to call it. Fallout. Is Pirelli. Yeah, Fallout. Is Pirelli. And in the doc that we have for planning this podcast, then Freddie's just written in big capitals, damn you, Pirelli. Uh, so, Nigel wrote that <laughs> last week. <laughs> <laughs> well, it gets even better. So, Nigel, I'll let you take the first. Oh, no, no, no. This was Freddie's idea. I'm going to let Freddie take the reins here. <laughs> oh, fine. I'll take the reins here. Um, Pirelli tyres are bonkers, aren't they? They're so weird. We look at them and think, what's going What the hell's going on here? And we don't know. No one knows. Why do at some tracks they boil and turn into like melted rubber? Why do in other ones do they just sit there and exist for years? We don't understand. No one understands. The teams don't understand. We just want good racing and we want pit stops to give us good racing because strategy does give us good racing. Pirelli want that but don't at the same time. We don't know. We've got a really weird situation going on here. Yes, this year we haven't had the, the interesting different tyre compounds that you'd get every year because Pirelli have just decided to do a blanket. You get this many tyres for every race because of the current coronavirus, which is fair enough. 
Um, but they're still weird tyres. Like the intermediates not famously don't work for anyone, some most of the time. Only Racing Point figured them out. Um, you can just look at the, um, the... Realistically, a wet tyre should give a similar um, pecking order to that of a dry tyre because it should work like a tyre that's supposed to work in, for the conditions. But yet, Lewis Hamilton was five seconds off Lance Stroll so in qualifying. So what's going on here, Pirelli? Sort it out. Is really it? I mean, me and Freddie have spoke about this off camera a little bit. The, the operating window is so narrow; it's ridiculously narrow. It has been for probably since 2018, I want to say 2018, 2017. And I don't know why. Maybe the wider cars, bigger tires, whatever. But it just makes it such a lottery in, in a bad way uh, because it's. Well, the only reason it's bad is because it's always Mercedes. Lost three that Mercedes always win. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, but it's just so weird that... See, I remember last year, British Grand Prix, Hamilton setting the fastest lap on all, like, 30-lap hard tyres. It just... To me, that shouldn't be possible in F1. I don't know, it's just... It, it's really... Strange, and then get a race like at Silverstone two this year, where the tires don't really last at all. Match Verstappen comes through. I don't know. It's it just it's just so strange. To answer this a few years ago, they just made them softer and softer and softer, and they had, they had oh super soft, why not? Oh ultra soft, why not? Oh hyper soft, yeah, that's fun. Let's have a pink one. And that, was, that seemed to be the impetus. Like, let's have more fun colours. And we didn't really get it. And you'd be like, wow, the cars are so much faster. And it's like, yeah, well, the tyre is so much stickier and it goes off after half a lap of Monaco. And that's just like, what? I think I like that every like purple, race. But... I like that they'd be able to make every country flag out of the tyres. So, like, there'd be a billboard and it'd, like, for France, it'd have, like, wet and then it'd have like kind of paint exploding out of it and stuff and then it'd have like wet hard super soft and stuff and i quite like that but that, that shouldn't be how you pick a tire supplier <laughs> <laughs> no it, it didn't it didn't make up for the if we have michelin and that would be great i'd love to have the michelin man running around you see him at formula e races running around like look at me i'm the michelin man they even had him in berlin where they had coronavirus lockdown didn't even allow like the majority of journalists they only allowed the like this, the proper Formula E official feed broadcaster, but they still allowed the Michelin man in because he's amazing. So why don't we get well, the they, a question for you? Well, do we allowed, need? Is, oh God! They allowed Pudsey Bear into the Turkish Grand Prix, and some Joe Sayward wasn't very happy with that. <laughs> Sorry, Let's get the really Michelin well. man to bully Joe Sayward. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel, what were you going to say? Hey. Do we need to need the free tire compound rule? Because I think at some races it, it makes a one stop much easier. Like imagine if we had the Stop's two the softest hard. compounds of the three shoes uh, at races. I feel it would it would make things a lot harder to do a one stop and stuff. I feel like the free good yeah. pun. What did I make a pun? Hard tires. Oh, hard. Hey. oh. <laughs> 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 I didn't even see. Yeah, mm. do we need it? <laughs> well, it uh, makes it super easy to do a 
one. No, not all very good. Hyper easy. <laughs> Adam, you're going soft. Hey. Um, there we go. That wasn't a good one either. Um, no, it wasn't. It was quite bad, actually. It's all been a bit medium. Hey. It's been for hard to make tyre puns, isn't it? Yeah. I've never made a wet joke then, thank God for that. Well, if you're <laughs> laughing at them, I guess you're a bit wet. At least we don't have Hankook to talk about. That would be very strange. Anyway. Um... Maybe it's next to humorous just intermediate. Anyway, before we get on to tyre rims, um, I'd say that, um, yeah... What you're saying there, Nigel, is interesting to have, like, because that brings it back to what you're talking about 2011 earlier, with like lots of soft, degradating tyres. And I mean, just because everyone every day would say, oh, we don't like tyres, and we would enjoy the races, but Mark Webber would come out and be like, I don't like the tyres, and that would be it. So that would be the predominant. It was like when Honda was with McLaren. Every single day, there'd be a new article about why McLaren hated Honda. It was the same with the tyres. And it's just like, it's a bit boring. I think we're just finding tyres boring. And it's just, I'm, I'm having a little ramble here because I just, I don't know what to say about it. I can't think of an easy fix. I think, yeah, getting soft tyres is fun. But then it's just going to be like, well, then they'll just be silly degrading. And getting hard tyres is boring because they're not silly degrading. I, I don't really know what we want. I wonder if we went back to 2011 now, with what the teams and the drivers have all learned, would the one stop still be normal? Because the drivers would, like Hamilton, they would just adapt uh, to make a one stop work. Now he knows how to do it, kind of thing. Because that's, you know, one of his best skills, making the tyres go on forever. If we go back to 2011, would Hamilton now be able to do that, I wonder? And is it the teams have just learned how to do it? Perhaps? Well, if you look at the team which dominated in 2011, it was Red Bull, and part of that was because they really did actually understand the tyres a bit better. Yes, they had a fantastic car, um, and Sebastian Vettel behind that was unstoppable. But they really understood the tyres. People always talk about Sebastian Vettel going to um, visit the Pirelli factories and speaking to the engineers, and he's the only really the driver who's really done that around that time. So I think what they would learn if you go back to a similar situation, I think more teams would invest time into trying to figure out the tyres before the season rather than just putting them on and trying to figure it out in the practice session. I think Red Bull did that to a huge effect in 2011. Like entire time. Tire time. Yeah, I, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> I just, I think Hamilton would have figured it out at some point, you know, and now he's winning races just based off his tyre, you know, the way he can handle the tyres a lot better than Bottas. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, yeah. What I'm essentially saying is, because back then they used to do three and four stop races, if we had a 20 lap mm-hmm. race now, would, they, would the drivers and teams be able to do it on a one stop because they, you know, because of what they've learned? Or would it still be a three, four stop race as well? It might be two, I think. Well, mm, I think... I mean... I, uh, Actually, I'd probably say for a lot of drivers, it would still be a three or four one. You know, take Lance Grohl or something like that. You know, I don't think he's any better than kind of your average tyre wearer in 2011. But I think, um, I think you know, kind of the the top end, you know, your Hamilton, your Perez is um, would be able to kind of make it work on a probably a two stop. Yeah, it's very good on the tyres. 
mm. they'd be able to do it. So, yeah, I think I think it might mix it up a bit more, or it might just kind of make it into a really tire dictated race because that's the other thing that we do want to avoid. We don't want to avoid kind of we do we don't want to have you know drivers kind of avoiding getting into the dirty air or you know not wanting to be in a battle with another car because it will you know damage their tyres you know we still want to we don't want to make tyres kind of the be all and end all of it and yeah yeah at the end of the day formula one is a sprint race not an endurance race that yeah. i think gets lost on a lot of people because it's still an hour and a half long for the most part people then think it's going to be a bit more of an endurance perspective but it's it's a sprint race and that's it it's mm. not like you're supposed to be pushing to the edge you're not supposed to be conserving as much i mean yeah there's still a part of it there's still all that mm. there's still common sense but it's not le mans you're not trying to get to the finish you're trying to get to the finish in the best position so well would you say they're pushing up 100 now Freddie? no i don't think they are no. but when, when, when was the last since. time at, uh they were pushing at 100 percent would you say 2003? It was wow. kind of like 07, 08, I think. 09 as well, I'd say. Maybe, actually. The last Bridgestone year, I'd say. Do you mm. think? I mean, you do get you do get the old races where yeah, draw as well. But, yeah, in terms of kind of over the general season. And it brings know. us back to our original discussion about the track at Turkey, um, where it's an interesting curveball when it's unpredictable and odd but if it's all the time it wouldn't be amazing mm. and that's what kind of we have with the tires i guess so we need to see a mix of races where the tires go off really quickly and a mix of races where the drives can push all the time yeah Eventually. yeah <laughs> go on pirelli just at to the moment that we're like halfway between build for all the races what we did see that was interesting in um, 2018, they pushed the boat out a bit with this, was they would bring the um, ultra softs and then skip a compound, not bring the I super like softs, bring the soft immediately. Mm -hmm. I like that as well. Because yeah. um, then you would, you would have really, thought it, it, would, it would negate the Q2 tyre rule a bit and would then force people into starting on a soft tyre. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, you could then see if you wanted to go on the much slower tyre to go long um, or do a two-stop kind of situation. And it would be, I think, very interesting. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be against bringing something like that back. Yeah, I, I also think the tyres are soft, medium and hard, whatever track. They need to be more different from each other. Because I think at the moment, the medium and the hard, for example, are too similar. Like, you get 40 laps out of both of them. Thing. I think things should be like 10, stop. 20, 30. Say, yeah, or 10, ideally. 15, 20. Ideally, One, yeah. Two, three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think there needs to be a bigger difference because then that will create more strategy options, I think. Yeah, I think it's diff it is difficult because, as Freddie said, it's kind of we don't always, F1 fans don't always know what they want. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's not just saying, <laughs> oh, the ties are rubbish. Um, but yeah, you know, it's. It's unsatisfactory a lot of the time. Um, All we know is that we do want Portimao back. No. We don't See, know that. You don't know that then. Exactly. <laughs> um, the track that isn't Portimao is Abu Dhabi. It's different in quite a lot of ways. And 
the free the postseason tests at Abu Dhabi, uh, the lineups have started to trickle through. Um, so I just thought we'd take a quick look at that to finish. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> Williams Williams announced the most uninspiring driver lineup. What a lineup that is! I've just seen it. <laughs> Roy Nissan and Jack Aitken. Woohoo! I know, absolutely boss lineup. Um, Alfa Romeo have announced Callum Eilat will be there, um, and it's thought Mick Schumacher won't. They've not confirmed, but it looks oh, like he'll. Not for Alpha. Uh, well, not for Alpha. Yeah, oh, yeah. It could be a um, Ferrari have got Antonio Fuoco and Robert Schwarzman. Renault haven't got Alonso because they've uh, limited. Because <laughs> he's it not a to, young driver. Yeah, you've got to have uh, less than two Grand Prix starts under your belt to compete. And McLaren aren't t- taking part at all. They're just they've decided it's not worth it for them, and they're not going to be there. So <laughs> that's all. We, that's all the news we have on that so far. Yeah, does any anything jump out at either of you apart from just the depressingness of Roy Nassani and Jack Aitken? I mean, you know, Dan Tickton has been much better in F2 and he's on the Williams books. Um, feels like they really want Roy Nassani, I guess, because he's got quite a bit of backing. He's got a bit he's of not, dosh he's behind not him. done awfully in his practice sessions, to be fair, but obviously, like, you know, there's not much you can take away from that, really. It says obviously, a lot about not, the F2 car, doesn't it? Yeah, he's not done well in F2. and But, you know, he's just, like, nowhere near getting a super licence at all. So, it's... The thing is, we Asani, keep sticking with him. I don't understand. He's had a much better second season in F2 this year than he did in 2018. Mm. So, I don't know. There is a driver developing there, but it's just not at the, you know, the rate of someone to get Formula 1's attention. Developing from so far back as well. Yeah, he's developing from very far back. He's got a much, he's got a base that's much further away. But he did better than his dad when his dad did a practice session for Minardi and was in like 15 seconds off the pace. Um, Chanok Nisani in Hungary, 2006, I want to say, um, which is just a complete farce because he just got there because he gave it a, uh, all Minardi wanted around to that around that time, time 2005, actually probably about a 10 quid you could just get in the car, um, but. Thing with, yeah, you're right. Roy Nassani, he's, he's pure. He's like Alfonso Celis Jr. was for Force India, where he's just there because he's got a bit of backing. And we've got to accept that with test sessions. Mm, just seems quite quite a strange one. Um, any other things jump out to you? For, I mean, you know, we'll go through the uh, permutations for F1 seats next year, next week when we preview the F2 season showdown. I mean, Antonio Fuoco is an interesting one. He's a driver that I know next to nothing about. He's been a simulator driver for Ferrari for a long time and his F2 exploits were quite uninspiring. He was teammates to Charles Leclerc at Prima when Charles Leclerc waltzed to the title that year. And then I think he was teammates at Chiruz with Louis Delatraz in 2018 and wasn't very inspiring then. He's just one of those guys who's on Ferrari's books as a simulator driver and is just a guy to roll out when they want to get some test days done, I think, in the way that you can't put Leclerc or um, Science in the car because yeah. they've got over lots of, they've got more than two stars. So it's just a driver they've got in their back pocket, especially with, um, with Eilat being at Alfa Romeo and Schumacher presumably at Haas. They've got Schwartzman yeah. there. And I'd say Giuliano Alessi and Marcus Armstrong 
haven't done as much for the Formula One seat than Fuoco would have done behind the scenes. Yeah, that's probably fair. He'll bring more information in terms of developing the car than you'd imagine Armstrong or Alessi would. Nigel, is there anything kind of jump out at you from this? Well, not really. Not really too interested in that. Took that by your season test. Took that by your board expression. Um, but perhaps <laughs> the best um, addition to, not to the grid because he's been around before, but to kind of frontline F1 in 2021 will be Alex Jakes because he has been announced as replacing the departing Ben Edwards. He's not kicked him out. Ben Edwards was leaving anyway um, at yeah. Channel Four, and everyone is happy about this. I, I've not genuinely not seen any kind of negative comments I don't think about this there's also the possibility that Matt Gallagher might kind of move into uh, you know S2, S3 actually no it's not a rumour yeah more of a mainstream um, position commentary position I Um, hope he does he's brilliant Matt Gallagher is fantastic he gets a lot of sticks because he's WCF1 but he's a really good commentator Mm. in his F2 and F3 and pit lane commentary on F1 this year for the pit lane channel on F1 TV have actually been very good. So it'd be interesting to see if we get like a Matt Gallagher, Alex Brundle partnership. Mm. I think that would be cool. And yeah, kind of how excited are you both about Alex Jakes? I mean, I think it's a brilliant. Yeah, I do too. I mean, personally, I hope he does remain with the F2 and the F3 commentary. I I do. No offence to Matt Gallagher. I think he did a great job as well. But I just think Alex Jakes, you might know a bit more, a bit more knowledgeable about those series. But yeah, I thought it was a great appointment for Channel 4. Ben Edwards has done a brilliant job over the last few years since uh, coverage moved from the BBC to Channel 4. And yeah, all all a good good feel news story for F1. Yeah, completely. Um, I'm with Nigel. It would be fun if he could still keep his role with F2 because he is a joy to watch when he's doing the Dream series. Um, he really does make some of the battles in, in, that, um, in that series. Um, and whoever does replace him, be it as we've put forward, um, Matt or anyone else, will have the biggest shoes to fill in motorsport commentary at the moment, I'd say. I mean, Will Buxton, because he, he used to do the GP2 country, didn't he? That's two. He's quite good at it, actually. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because Alex Jakes replaced Will Buxton in 2015, I want to say, 2015. Yeah, I can't remember. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's lots of permutations, lots of things to look out for. And I'm looking forward to see how it settles down, and I'm looking forward to seeing how the partnerships kind of build for next season and hopefully at Melbourne. Yeah, a new era, and also just to shout out to Ben Edwards because he is also a brilliant commentator. Yeah, Yeah, he's a great commentator. Um, Yeah, you know, really, I think he just back to his days with John Watson on Eurosport in ten and all of that, as well as BBC with uh, Coulthard from twenty twelve ish. British touring cars in yes, mid two thousands. Porsche Mobile One Super Cup, Mm. the um, (laughs) F one season reviews. Yeah, it's not really so. But yeah, I think that is the end of this podcast. As I say, we'll be back midweek next week for a Bahrain preview. Nigel's pointing at me. You've forgotten. No, I haven't. Yes, you are. I hope. Um, 
because I have been trying to work out this in my head. But Freddie, which team do you think would be best at finding a track? You know, what you said earlier, your, or my idea of kind of going there, you've got to find riddles. <laughs> the desert thing. Work out where the track is. Yeah, if which, I'm a which team would be the best? Are doing. Um, which team do you think would be best at it? Not for I missed something. Yeah. Where's that question come out of? <laughs> I've come in. Don't worry. Don't worry. This is surreal. Um, oh, okay. Red Bull, because they do demo runs literally everywhere, so they know everywhere. That's a good point. Nigel, what about you? I don't know what, what kind of question is that? Just <laughs> answer team it. Would be, you get given riddles, you know, you just drop to the middle of some random uh, find the track. It's, the, it's a, our new qualifying format, the winging it qualifying format. <laughs> uh, but, I don't know. Ferrari? No, they're fighting Ferrari. each other. There's infighting all over the yeah, place. They've got about six they... tracks. I'm so confused. <laughs> I think they'd be the best. Ferrari rock about Kyle Army when everyone's racing at Mugello. I think, yeah, I think personally they'd be the worst team. Um, but would they be as good at our audience at finding where you can <laughs> follow us on Twitter and on no, Adam? You, you've forgotten, Adam. What's forgotten. he forgotten, Nigel? I don't know what he's forgotten. <laughs> yeah. You've forgotten. We, we planned it in the halfway thing. I'm kind of just waiting for you to stay now because my fun, my fun fact about Turkey. Oh, no, I just yeah, I thought fact. I thought you were going to slide it into the. Oh, all right. Yeah, oh, what's your fun fact, can... Nigel, to round off the podcast? Oh, it better be good now. Uh, Hold on. Yeah, Wait, it better be. <laughs> Should we cut? <laughs> no, let's, <laughs> let's hear the fun off. fact. I'm leaving this in when I edit this. Right, right my fun fact is, you know. <laughs> Adam Dickinson has got his head on now. Did you know that top three drivers, the Turkish Grand Prix, Lewis Hamilton, Sergio Perez and Sebastian Vettel, were the only three drivers that raced in the last Turkish Grand Prix before that in 2011? No, I didn't. And it's a nice fact. I'm glad I know it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Nigel. Exactly. Yeah. Right, and on that note, cheers for listening. We'll be back next week. Check us out. Bye. Bye.